picking up again. Our contemplation of the Dharma. The liberating teachings. That point us to uh, recognition of our own Dharma nature, our own Dharma nature. Reviewing the essential teaching, the handful of leaves that Tanisara shared last night, how the Buddha referred to his uh, core teachings. Comparing that handful of leaves to all the leaves in the forest. Acknowledging that there's a lot of things to know. There's many myriad, innumerable things one can know. Not putting down all the other knowledge. I mean, interesting how the Milky Way became the Milky Way. It's not that that isn't interesting. The awakened one could see the complex interrelationships between form and consciousness, so he knew directly innumerable things. But he picked up that handful of leaves and and, uh, talked about the fundamental principles. When not understood, leads, he said, I like you, by not understanding these principles, this handful of leaves, had to wander endlessly through rounds and rounds of birth and death. But through understanding these four, completely understanding these four truths in their three aspects. Each each has an aspect, has three aspects, which Tanisha touched on last night. By understanding these four truths, I've left behind that endless wandering. Awakened to the unshakable heart. And he taught that you, just like me, can do this. Tanishra shared the the first teaching of the Buddha, which our teachers used to describe as the Buddha's first kind of flop, the teaching that didn't work. You know, when the wanderer said, wow, your features are serene, you're radiant. Who is your teacher? (laughs) 
And the Buddha said he didn't really have a teacher. He was the all-awakened one, discovered through his own investigation. And as Tanisha shared, he sort of shook his head and said, good for you, and went off in another direction. And the awakened one contemplated that, we're assuming. Still, it's a very good reminder because when he, when he made his way gradually from Bodhgaya to Benares to, to the Deer Park where he found his five former colleagues, the ascetics, and they were planning not to really make a big fuss about him. He can sit down if he wants, but we're not going to put a bowl out and all that other stuff for him. He can sit down. But they just couldn't help themselves. But then when, when the Buddha said, look, I've discovered liberation. I can teach it to you. They just, how could you slack her? Eating milk rice from a beautiful mating. Milk rice was the ice cream of the time. I, How could you, receiving that from that beautiful girl and then lapping it up, talk about liberation. And, 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 uh, and for the second time, the Buddha said, look, I've discovered the truth. Let me teach you. You can, you can see this for yourself. Two times they said, you slacker. Three times they said, you slacker. And then the Buddha said, have I ever spoken this way before? Have I ever lied to you before? And he listened to him. And then when he taught, I mean, he didn't, he didn't do the approach that he did before. I mean, he could have. A different approach to this teaching would be, come on, don't be bashful. I want you to say, I believe in Nibbana. No, 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 you're not putting your heart into it. Come on, really. You can do it. Don't be bashful. I believe in Nibbana. No, 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 no. You're holding back. You're holding back. Nibbana is real. And it is real. But he could have revved up on that and tried to get them to the belief or like the other, you know, you're left with believing or disbelieving. And so, you know, you're believing and said, all right. And we, you know, it could start the Nibbana cult. <laughs> Nibbana. And, and, but the, the wanderer, believe or not believe, he sort of shook his head and, and walked off the other way. So when the Buddha presented, it's like being at the bottom of a tree and trying to leap to the top of the tree. He began his teachings with, there is dukkha. He didn't say, you guys are just suffering. <laughs> that would immediately set off this kind of, who's he think he is saying, we're suffering, immediately sets off this dualistic thing. Just like the I'm the all transcendent one. That kind of language, though it was just a, an expression of the bliss of freedom. 
Who do you think you are? But notice the, the skill of there is dukkha. And when he defined dukkha in our chanting, our recitation that we are doing now in the mornings, birth is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Sickness is dukkha. Death is dukkha. Those are the first four definitions, just as a, as a list. But that's looking at what everybody goes through, their sense of being born. Even if you don't live a long life, the, the shifting and aging, the sickness, things breaking down, and the death. And we can glorify birth as, you know, it's wonderful and we can celebrate, but it's not easy. I've not given birth, but I've had, just had a friend that was, you know, they were going to have a water birth and it was going to be amazing and this and that. And then they got into this hospital in South Africa and it turned into a nightmare. Had a cesarean that she didn't really want. And, but, you know, they survived, which is amazing. Now, I can't recall, but it looks like from the baby's point of view, it could be pretty cramped in there. <laughs> and even right after you come out, it's not necessarily just a big lot of fun getting slapped. And <laughs> not easy. Mom fell down the steps, so I was three weeks or months premature. So I, I don't remember it, but I was in an incubator for three weeks. And mom says, now, Randy, I know why you became a monk, because that was your first meditation cell. <laughs> might not have been easy in a box. Then again, it might have been great. Maybe I'm trying to get back there. But who knows? <laughs> Birth is dukkha. He's not judging it, but just saying dukkha can be translated, it's not easy to bear. Du means apart from ka. Aka comes from the root akasha, it means the perfection of space. Can be translated as not perfect or not satisfying. Not easy to bear. Old age, not easy to bear. Last night, enjoying meditation, things are humming in the body. Didn't really caught off guard when Tanissa wished me happy birthday at the end of her talk, very sweetly. Didn't really feel 58. But this morning when I woke up, <laughs> I could barely move. And in the old days, it used to be, we're getting better. Our mantra when we'd wake up is, it's too difficult. And Tanis would say, it's too difficult. And we would in harmony say, it's too difficult. <laughs> and you know, oh gosh, I can't believe. I thought I was better and look at my back and this and that. I didn't do that though. But still, aging is not easy to bear. I didn't add to it. So actually, I just let... I trust that the best thing is lovely to be awake because then I can start noticing things. Moving, stretching, coming and sitting and just being with the sensations as they were, not adding anything to it. 
But aging's not easy. As we know, death is not easy. The fifth definition that we, we chant. Notice, so everyone can relate to that. Everyone, when he was teaching the ascetics, being born, aging, sickness, dying, it's not easy to bear, dukkha. Being united with the unloved, being with what you don't want to be with. First thing in the morning, I didn't want to be with aching back and sluggish energy, hardly being able to bend over. Or sitting down and someone sits next to you is the last person you wanted to sit next to you. Or you're just sorting to get calm and then you're suddenly united with a memory that's the last memory you wanted to remember. Makes you angry. Being in contact with, united with what you don't want to be with is dukkha. Being separated from the love. Separated from the form of our, like our beloved dog who mysteriously came off the mountain. We live next to a wilderness area in South Africa. He mysteriously came off the mountain as a puppy. He got separated from an illegal hunting party after the baboons and came as a tiny puppy into our life when we'd first immigrated to South Africa. Such a trusting, loyal, loving, crazy, courageous dog. That when, when, when he passed, the dukkha, being separated from that form. Whenever you tie your shoes, I used to love, love that when he would tie your shoes, he'd want to be a part of it. So he'd stick his head right in there when you're tying your shoes. <laughs> so he could be part of tying your shoes. Separated from the love, dukkha. Whether it's a person, a being, an animal, a, a state, a place, can we relate to that? Is that, is that saying believe in nibbana? Is saying there is dukkha. Not getting what you want. It's the seventh. Can we relate to that? Not getting what you want. Got really calm yesterday. Yeah, it's going to go deeper today. Deeper, yeah, it's finally settling in. And sometimes you can't do anything. And somebody coughs, and then you're itching, and the hip hurts. That hasn't been bothering me. Not getting what you want. That experience. And then number eight, which is very profound, which we'll be looking at today, the five focuses of the grass, in short, all of them are summed up in short, the five focuses of the grasping mind. Hmm, there's a clue there. When the mind focuses, these five focuses are what's called the five aggregates, or the five khandas, or the five heaps, the five aspects of our incarnation that we take to be me, that we identify with as a me, as a self, what's called body, form this body, which is made up of earth, water, fire, air. It's the same as all the forms around us. The elements come together and we take this bit to be me and mine. The mind can identify with and grasp it form. And then there's the mental aspects, feeling, 
being pleased or displeased, liking or not liking, pleasure and pain. Even more subtle is perception. The way we frame. We take perception to be me. We can come into this room and think, oh, wow, how calm, how spacious. We can come into this room and think, wow, it's really crowded. Look at all these people. It's much nicer when it's not. Or we can come in this room and think, oh, it's a bit too big. Come in this room and think too small. Notice how perception frames everything. How fleeting it is, though. Then there's volition. It's another aspect. We're complicated beings. There's form, there's feeling, being pleased, pleasant experience, unpleasant experience, perception. And then there's what's called karma formations or volitional tendencies. It's a part of being human. I can be here and think, I don't know if I like this room. And then I walk out the door. What's that? This experience, don't like this experience, so walk out the door and guess what? There's new experience. I just, karma, created new experience. Don't like seeing this. The volitional tendency can go up to my eyes and close the eyes. It shuts that off. This is not so nice, so I imagine into the future. That's another creation. So the volitional tendencies can go to mind, to thought, can go to sight, can go to sound. Oh, I like those sounds. Don't like those sounds. Can go to tastes, we certainly know that. Like this, don't like that. Go to smells, sensations. These are also focuses of the grasping mind. And most subtly, consciousness itself, the moments of Like when you hear my voice, there's a moment of consciousness that's based on the ear. Hearing consciousness. When you see light and form, there's consciousness based on the eye, eye consciousness. We smell nose consciousness, tongue, taste consciousness, consciousness based on the body sensation, Thoughts, mind consciousness, moments of knowing. Focuses of the grasping mind that in short, essentially dukkha is about the mind taking a form or a feeling or a perception or a moment of knowing and grasping it. There is dukkha. And... and Rather than him saying, believe in it, he just says there is, and the exhortation, the practice, the encouragement is, it's to be understood, open to. Rather than blaming it, trying to avoid it, this is the liberating teaching. Sometimes it's useful to avoid it, like if a 
mother's going crazy and a child is throwing a fit on a train or in some kind of situation and is unhappy. Sometimes when we're little you can get some keys out and jangle them and distract. Wherever baby was crying about, maybe he gets interested in that. And that can be skillful, just to get through. But remember the two arrows. When we're used to solving suffering by just going to something pleasant and distracting, the underlying tendency to aversion is deepened and accumulated, the Buddha said, and that we put a second arrow in by misunderstanding the escape from suffering, by thinking we can just deny it, repress it, blame it, get lost in it. So in our practice uh, today, to continue being steady, simple, grounding ourselves in the body, but then just noticing, is there dukkha? Noticing the experience of old age or sickness. Notice being separated from we don't, from being united with the unloved. How do we relate to that when there's pain and we don't want it? Or separated from what we want, maybe a pleasant state. Or we're really missing our loved ones or our home. Rather than too quickly just trying to kind of brush over it, allow ourselves to quietly just open to that. And to encourage ourselves, this is ennobling. On the, on the one level, within this, it's rooted in compassion. Because the dukkha that we're willing to be with, then we have to develop a heart that's able to resonate with suffering, able to hold it, our capacity to be real with life as it is, birth, old age, sickness, death, death in touch with what we don't want to be with separated from what we want, what we love, things going wrong sometimes. By being able to just open to that, that already in and of itself is, is noble, ennobling. And then what we're able to open to, if we're too quickly trying to change it and fix it, we don't see it. It might just be aversion that we're plastering on something, or denial. What we open to, then we're able to get to know the dynamic. What's feeding this? What's, what's going on here? All the noble truths blend into each other, because the more we open to dukkha, then we actually start to see how we compound it by wanting and not wanting, by this process that's called identifying or attachment, by taking it to be me and mine. This is my body. This is my feeling. To illustrate this, uh, there's a story we remember a lot from Ajahn Chah. 
he was walking on arms round one day with some of his uh, fellow disciples, fellow monks, and they uh, walked past a big boulder. And he points to the boulder and says, is that heavy? And they said, Lumpa, Lumpa is what we call him, Venerable Father. It's an affectionate term. Lumpa, yes, it's heavy. It's huge. And he said, nah. He said, which is like, huh? He says, only if you try to lift it. <laughs> only if you try to move it. It is what it is. It just is what it is. But when you're trying to lift that thing or shift that thing, then it's really heavy. When I woke up this morning, is, is aching body really, is it heavy? Well, I think it shouldn't be there. When I'm owning, when you identify and own something, oh, how can this be? And you're starting shifting it, changing it, thinking it shouldn't be there. And one can really get oneself exhausted. Because I've been practicing, I woke up the other day. At first, was, oh, you know, there was a little oh. But I, I saw what I was adding. I was adding, we add that on. Is the boulder heavy? Yeah, it's heavy. That's something we put onto it. But when I, when I didn't try to claim it, get rid of it, I just was open to it this morning. I've had a lot of practice with pain and sickness and these things. And so and it isn't always the case, but in just being with it as it is, I didn't add the second arrow. I didn't add it. And even the pain itself, when you're not telling yourself, this is painful, this is, it just becomes what it is in awareness. And actually the feeling tone of it was, was quite all right. It was lovely to have permission just to sit, breathe. Little by little watching it shift. When we take a pleasant feeling and, and own it, then we're carrying it, we're lifting it up, we're carrying it. And then as it shifts and starts to change, we think, oh, it shouldn't be. And so that's all this struggle that comes. Then the second noble truth, the origin of suffering, we start to see this stress is created by this grasping and wanting to keep things pleasing, trying to get rid of what we don't want. Is it heavy? Only if you lift it, only if you try to shift it. What's the exhortation of the second truth? To let go. What happens when, there's, a, there's occasions when we do need to try to shift and change things, but we know what we're doing. We're fully accepting that effort. That's what compassion is when we're trying to help alleviate suffering, but we, we know what we're doing. And we're being at peace with each step of the way. But when you're really carrying something, and it's really heavy, and you let it go, let it down. Notice that relief. So in moments today when we're practicing, 
we notice ourselves uh, suffering with some pain or something, just to encourage the attention to open to it, listen to it, and notice how we're struggling. And sometimes we can't let go. We don't want this busy mind. We don't want all this crazy thinking. We don't. We should let go, and I can't let go, and I should let go, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. But Ajahn Chah would encourage us, give ourselves credit at least. He said 70% of it is at least knowing that you're suffering. Give yourself credit for that. There's dukkha here. That's honest. A lot of people say, what are you talking about suffering? I don't suffer. Oh, I suffered maybe 10 years ago. I had a, yes. You know you're suffering. Okay, maybe one can't let go. But you know you're suffering. Ajahn Chah would really praise that. But, the, but it's like if you're holding to something, but you can't let it go. You're trying to let it go, but you can't let it go. But one can start sensing the, the, the tenseness of the muscle, opening to it, getting a feeling for it, sensing that pushing the boulder, struggling with the boulder, obsessed with the boulder, should be in a different place, obsessed with rearranging the rocks in the stream, thinking it's going to make a different melody as... Tanisha told that story last night. And we're just opening to that. And then in moments, little by little, there's the opportunity for having moments of relaxing. Moments of relaxing. And noticing those moments when we're suffering, when there's not suffering. Sometimes there'll be discomfort or pain or being with what you normally don't like. And in a moment, it will just be what it is. This is a subtle taste, the taste of the peace of it. Not pushing, not pulling. It's all tied up with identification. Taking something, claiming it to be my form. My, when we have a peaceful state, claiming it. The Buddha even used the word upadana, that not only we crave it, we grasp it, and you can even climb on to that condition. And that's where birth takes place. Well, notice what happens when we give ourselves to a condition, when we sit in a chair. Usually chairs are pretty trustworthy. We don't tend to investigate a chair that deeply. We see a chair and we assume you can sit on it. So we sit down and it supports us. I knew a guy that was, I don't know, 300, 400 pounds. He didn't always just sit down on a chair. He would, he had to really sit gradually, gradually. And you'd hear the chair start creaking this and that. And you'd wonder, wow, is it going to hold? And, uh, but you know, he, he, was, he knew he had to be careful. But we lean on all sorts of conditions that we haven't really investigated. We lean on health. Someone praises us and we become that. Or we lean on health without even thinking about it. When I was so healthy and I was the wrestler, I became identified with that. Then when we've leaned on something, if what we've leaned on collapses, then there's a sense of falling. There's, the, there's death, birth and death. There's the struggle the suffering that comes from that. 
peaceful mood in meditation, if there's identify, grasping it, then when the mood shifts, because we're leaning on it, when the mood shifts, there's a faltering and a distress. The focuses of the grasping mind, when we're looking, as Ajahn Chah says, for certainty in that which is actually uncertain, we're bound to suffer. If I'm leaning on a pickup truck outside, resting on that, and then someone gets in and drives off, I fall down. So this is not to say, oh, then we throw out all conditions. It's a question of learning how to hold lightly, hold with compassion and kindness as to the true nature of a condition. It's not asking a condition. Dukkha's not saying things are bad. It's saying another translation is unreliable. Its nature is to become otherwise. That's what it's supposed to do. That's why change is so important in our meditation. Once we breathe in and see change, breathe out and see change, the more we see that every moment it's becoming otherwise, then we see that that's true not only of the breath, but of feelings, our thoughts, our volitional patterns, our moments of knowing and seeing all, as I said the other night, the cascade of change like a waterfall. Then there's the recognition that we might call this stuff me and mine, but it's only a name. It doesn't really belong to me. That's what not-self means. Not-self is not just some theory that we can give ourselves a headache about. Oh, God, I don't have a self. I thought I had one. Now I don't have one. We can... can, endlessly talk about that. But it's the experience of when you really, okay, we can call it ourselves. We try to do the best we can with it. But when you see that it doesn't really ultimately belong to me because it's shifting and changing, then it's, it's relaxing around it. The tragic irony is the more we try to claim and, and, and possess, we end up choking and killing. We fall in love, see something beautiful that really is beautiful in the world. And the more we try to, my loved one, the more we do that, we're joking our loved one. I know it can be trite, but Blake's Blake's, uh, poem about eternity is so good. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. The true, true joy of this life is it's fluid. He who binds to himself does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise. It's not rejecting, it's holding, touching lightly, realizing that things, their nature is to become otherwise. So as much as we miss our little dog, we, we let him go. We let him go, realizing we don't just keep... It's living in some kind of fantasy land, thinking we own and possess, and we end up hurting things. Let things change. Feel in moments the peace of that. Oh, no, 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 no. I like the in-breath. The in-breath's full. It's expanding. It's, it's got prana in it. It's, it's, it's better. Okay, 
but the in-breath, you can't just breathe in. <laughs> and, and dawn, dawn is, you know, dawn is fresh, and, you know, people have been asleep, thank goodness, the world's calming down. And no, 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 it's dusk, it's dusk, it's beautiful. But it's dawn and dusk, confidence and doubt, pleasure and pain. We, we, we take a little peace, and the mind, through dreaming, imagines he can just grip it. Dukkha, the focuses of the grasping mind, that's ignorance. Wisdom, clear seeing, sees that, oh, actually everything's changing. It isn't anything I grasp hold of, of course, will burn, because it won't stay. It's not really mine. It's, it belongs to nature to Dhamma, so we just relax. Not rejecting, not throwing anything out. Just relax. And we start to notice the space of the heart and the forms that are within the heart. Things are more fluid. It's a practice. Once there was a guy in the monastery who'd been practicing. He was a layperson, but as he was dying, he said, you know, can I come and... He didn't have anywhere. He didn't just want to die in a hospital. He said, could he come to the monastery? And um, so we had him at the monastery on the ground floor as he was dying. He was amazing. And he was just watching. He was just reporting his, yeah, can't feel my legs today. You know, he was just watching the body drop off. And uh, so, you know, he couldn't move around anymore. But one thing he had was an incredible memory. His name was Ray. He could tell a story, and you think, oh, he's lost it a bit. He'd go around the houses, but he would always, he'd always come right back to where it was supposed to be. He could remember so much. It was amazing. So, you know, his, his, so his mind was so lucid. And the body, yeah, the body's full of, I think it was cancer. I can't remember. He's letting it go. Yeah, a lot of pain, but well. You know, he was getting some medicine, letting it go. But then one day, he got in a panic. He said, okay, sir, I can't remember who I saw this morning. <laughs> it's just gone blank. I can't, I can't, really in a panic. I said, right, right, just like, you know, your body, you, you know it's not self. It's doing its thing. It's little by little breaking down and you're at peace, you're letting it go. The mind's like that too. Memory, it's, it's not, we call it my memory. You have a wonderful capacity with that, but it's also coming and going and shifting and changing as the, as the body's changing. And it was so beautiful that he had these moments of lucidity where he could, he could see that. Ah. So there's these different areas where we notice we're sticking, and, 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 and if it hurts, we're struggling there, okay. That's where we... Practice being with it, listening to it. If it all gets a bit overwhelming, don't forget we can just steady and take one step at a time. In-breath, out-breath. Noticing change and then noticing the dukkha of everything's always becoming otherwise. So there's nothing you can ultimately keep, but one can relax and touch everything with. with care.
with patience, with tenderness, with appreciation. And in moments, we taste peace. And when we don't taste peace, we cultivate that heart of willingness to be with this moment. And in that way, the path unfolds. And inexorably, whether we like it or not, it takes us home because that's our true nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.